Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Well, hi, y'all. This here is Rogue from the X-Men animated cartoon series, a.k.a. Lenore Zan, and you're listening to The Marvelous with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Stay tuned, sugar. You know, you look about as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our very special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them thar social medias. Can we for once do like half usual, maybe? Uh, Try? Uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Go on Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelists. Follow us individually on social media, myself on Facebook at facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster, on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick. And there's only one place in the whole worldwide interwebs, worldwide. Uh, go on Instagram at The You, you, sir. <laughs> oh, me, Eddie, 9193, distraction. You can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, among many, many others. And remember, also, find us on iTunes, where you can rate, review, subscribe, share, five stars, ice cream machine, whatever. Anyway, you c- did you turn the volume down? I saw your hand What? Move, I did not. Su- no, no, no. Anyway, you can also find us on... It's an idea, though, but anyway. Yeah. Patreon at patreon.com slash... The Marvelous. Yes, and on there... For as little as $3, you support the show and get a monthly newsletter from myself, Eddie, and John. It alternates between the months. I did the first one. I think, you, you want to do the second one? You want to do uh, Yeah, just li- give me some notes. Yeah, we'll figure this out. Yeah. And, you know, John, John, you do your thing. You do that voodoo that you do oh so well. Anyway, $5 a month gets you our exclusive online show. Well, obviously it's online. It's a podcast. Anyway, go on there, and for $5 a month, you get our... 102 plus episode exploration because that's what it's going to be. Think about it, Eddie. You know, um, there's the I'm annuals, thinking. there's this, there's that. We're going to be covering the lost adventures eventually. Oh, good. The one you pointed out that day. I was like, oh, yes, that is true. Yes. But episode by episode, we cover Stan and Jack's entire run on the Fantastic Four. And as we record this episode today, in about an hour or so, we're going to be recording episode number three for the end of October. Hooray and so forth. Yeah. So. In addition, $8 gets you the ability to pick a topic of your choosing, and if you don't suck, you get to be a guest co-host on this show. Join luminaries such as Jeremy Bagley and also Jeremy Bagley, where you're able to listen <laughs> to listen to this show. I'm laughing at my own jokes. I'm Jimmy Fallon today. But what you can do is... What happened to Peter? Yeah, exactly. But you can be able to do that, and yeah help support the show. But it's only limited to two patrons. Yes. So patreon.com slash The Marvelists. Show your support. We appreciate it. We do. Now, Eddie, on the other end of the tin cannon string, it's going international. Yes, we are. Crossing the border, if you will. And we're going to the land up north, Canada, to speak with, again, I, I always use this expression because I mean it. One of the voices of my childhood from yes. X-Men, the animated series, X-Men 92, as it's also known by many fans. We are joined with Lenore Zahn, the voice of Rogue. Hi, Lenore. Well, well howdy, sugar. There how she you, is. How y'all doing? Better now, thank you. <laughs> oh, so much. Well, it's nice of you to have me on your show. It's been a long time from the show you, to you now. Bet, you betcha. From what I can see, you've been a busy lady. So how did it all start with, with the voice stuff, really, more than anything else? And maybe if you have a background at all, or, or by doing the voice of Rogue, you that was your introduction to comics. I don't know. <laughs> uh, to be honest, yeah, I was an actor to start with uh, in theater. Started off in theater. a lot, And then uh, film and television. Uh, and I, I began acting at the age of about 16 professionally 
in the theater, and I I went on and I did my first movie at the age of 20, and then I started doing television after that. I didn't do animation until 19, uh, let me think, 1991, and by that time, I was 31 years old when I first started doing animation. I'd only done one series, I believe, before I did the X-Men. And it was a show called Stunt Dogs, D-A-W-G-S, Stunt Dogs. Mm -hmm. And I played Sizzle, who was, again, like a Southern character, and she sizzled. She was sexy, and she was rambunctious and sassy. And so I did that, and then the next one I booked was was the X-Men, and... To be honest, I've done so much since then of animation and film and television, but, you know, Rogue is one of my favorite characters of all time. No, oh, you definitely have. I mean, there's there's film. There's, like we said, the, like you said, the TV animation. There's video game stuff. We'll touch on a few as we go along. And I even see uh, some regular, so to speak, film work. So quite a uh, resume, if you will. Yep. I've, uh, and radio. I did a lot of uh, live radio as well, which here in Canada, it was great. We would do these radio dramas, and people loved them. Uh, so I got to do a lot of that as, as well. So, yeah, it was a really well-rounded-out career. And to be honest, I, I've, I've, I'm still acting in my spare time now, um, although I have a, a day job, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about. But uh, I did do a movie a couple of years ago, which just came out, uh, called Stage Mother, and I played a lead leading role in that opposite uh, Jackie Weaver, who's an Australian actress, lives in L.A., and she's been nominated for a couple of Academy Awards. It's it's a really heartwarming film. If, you, if anyone gets a chance to see it, it's called Stage Mother, and you can you can stream it on YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let me back up a second, Lenore. You said radio drama, and I think right away of uh, you know pre- raised on the radio by pre- uh, the Ravens. Journey did a song called Raised on Radio 2, 1986, 87. But I think of right away before the days of television. Now, is that something that was relatively recent that you did in Canada? Yeah, we, we, we like here in Canada, we have a public broadcaster called the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, sure. and government uh, supports that. And so we do a lot of radio. CBC has great shows and for many, many years, at the same time as television, we were doing also radio dramas um, that were very popular. So you could be in your car driving along and you could be listening to you know, a drama on the radio. And many actors, really good theatrical actors, we would also supplement our income by doing radio dramas as well. So it wasn't before TV. I'm, I'm not that old. No, <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it was at the same time, and and just and and lately there, there's not there's that's gone by the wayside, but unfortunately, but I know people really love them. It's kind of like podcasts, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Like this podcasts. is yeah, this is the uh, the uh, the descendant of the radio drama. I just thought, and I in erring erringly mistakenly, you know, put it into that time frame back there that when TV <laughs> came along, radio drama was bye bye. So, you know, forgive no, me for that. No, in Canada, no. In Canada, it was still very, very popular. So, you know, in fact, it started doing better than TV, I heard. And so there was, a, there was some competition there. And unfortunately, it was death by a million cuts. And radio dramas kind of went by the wayside. But, um, but I, I, love, I love anything to do with voice. I mean, obviously, I've, I've, I've always been a good reader. Um, and I've always loved reading aloud, reading stories aloud, things like that. And my teachers in school used to get me to do a lot of that because I could bring the words off the page and make them come alive for the students rather than just being in a monotone and boring everybody to death, you know? That's always a a trick to do when you're trying to work with the vocal uh, expression, media, and so on. So uh, kudos to you for that, yeah. I'm just Thank wanted to you. ask among you're welcome. Uh, born in Sydney, Australia, and a lot of places you've been, among others. Uh, one of them I want to point out, and and maybe Peter didn't know this, so I'm going to educate him a little bit. That one of the places you had lived, uh, maybe early on, was Saskatchewan. 
So if anybody <laughs> yeah. ever hears that, you know, somebody is from, we know someone now. So there. <laughs> Finally. Well, yes. Actually, when, when we moved from Australia to Canada, my family and I came over on a boat, actually, with 2,000 Australian teachers. My mom and dad were teachers who emigrated to Canada in 1968, and they got jobs teaching in Regina, Saskatchewan. And so we had never seen snow before. Uh, we didn't know that it was like minus 30 below zero. My mother wore a miniskirt to school one time, and her legs went blue waiting for the bus. Oh. Um, my tongue got stuck to the car door once because I, I kind of I was eight, and I wanted to lick the nice icy pattern that was on the door. <laughs> well, why do kids do what they do? And my tongue got stuck to the door. And then my mother had to find out that you had to pour warm water on it to try to pull, pull it off. It still bled like crazy. Oof. But, yeah, the things that you learn when you move from Australia to um, Canada. Well, we got to say. Then, then we moved to Nova Scotia after that, and my mom and dad have been here ever since. I didn't think wincing would be a part of this interview today, and not going to lie. <laughs> wincing, laughing at that, or just smiling at that uh, story, a sideline that we'd never thought that would have happened. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, no it's, I, we mean that I'm in most sure sincere way. People in the states who have kids or did as kids do similar things if they live in cold conditions. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> just so we back up a second, I heard you said the town of the province, if if that's it, in Saskatchewan, it is spelled the same way as you would pronounce the name, at least here, as Regina. But you you say it Regina. Yeah, you say Regina. Okay, because all of a sudden somebody thought, "Where's this show going? Hold it." <laughs> Boo, Eddie, boo. I'm sorry. Cheap shot. So how is it, though, among other places I have here, Halifax, Toronto, London, Stockholm, Vancouver, and then here in the U.S., Los Angeles and New York City, how was it living here for whatever period of time? Loved it. I loved it. Uh, I lived in Los Angeles. I lived in Hollywood. I lived along the beach in Santa Monica. I lived in Venice Beach, um, right by the boardwalk. I had my rollerblades, and I would throw them on every day and go, blade, you know, blading along the boardwalk. Um, I lived in Chicago for a year. I did a play there, and where else? Cincinnati. I spent some time in Cincinnati, and I mean, I love, I love many, many places in uh, America, and I had a great time. Met great people there, and. Um, I did my own play. I wrote a play and did it in New York and was on Law and Order with uh, Jerry Orbach, which was fantastic. And um, Great actor. Oh, fantastic actor. And what a gentleman. Like, so kind to everybody. And with Sam Waterston, who I adore. Mm. So those two guys, I got to have scenes with both of them. And I felt like died and went to heaven. I really enjoyed that. Um, plus doing my own play about Marilyn Monroe called The Marilyn Tape. And uh, I did that. I was there for several years. And then uh, I felt like it was time to come back to Nova Scotia to be close to my family. I had been going back and forth, flying back and forth to Toronto, where I was doing X-Men and all these other shows. Um, I was actually I was living in three places at the same time, to be honest. I lived in New York. Toronto and Los Angeles, and I would fly back and forth all the time and do work in all three places. And then I started flying from L.A. to Vancouver to New York. And then eventually I decided to move back to Nova Scotia and kind of give back to the community here and teach a bunch of young people that they could be successful. And it didn't matter what tiny little town or village or province or state you come from and uh, so I came back and I started doing some voice work here and teaching kids and how to do animation how to do voices and stuff like that and then I was asked to run for politics and everybody thought my mother thought I was crazy I'd never get in but I actually won my first election as a provincial representative or state representative and I won three more times after that, and then I ran federally last October uh, for Prime Minister Trudeau's government, and I won that one. And so now I'm a, I am now a member of the Canadian Parliament. 
Congratulations. You got a pretty full plate. <laughs> I do. But let's put it this way. I certainly uh, appreciate and, and fight for the arts and culture and support for our creative industries. And so uh, all of my colleagues, my former colleagues across the country know that they've got an artist that's in government and who is, is fighting for them, especially during COVID-19 when most of them lost, you know, months and months and months of work, if not a couple of years of work. Um, and so I was really pleased to be able to speak for them and say, look, they need some kind of support because they can't be performing in the theaters. They can't be singing. They can't be doing concerts. They can't be doing shows. We need to be able to support them. And, and we did come up with a, a means of paying them, providing them $500 a week to be able to um, survive, basically. And, you know, you mentioned with theater, with it being one of the biggest casualties of, you know, dealing with COVID-19. Is there anything more magical, though, than the aspect of live theater? No. <laughs> In a word, no. I love theater. It's ancient. You know, we started doing it thousands of years ago, and for a reason. And we t it, we tell stories and looking out into the audience and feeling the energy of the audience and giving back that energy is it it's it's a real um, talent to do that, and it's also a blessing. And and the same with singing. If you can sing and and, and present that incredible uh, sound to an audience, they, they will receive it and they will give you back the energy. So it's, it's, it's an incredible feeling. Um, animation, film, and television obviously is different because you don't have an audience right there. But it was lovely in doing the X-Men because they did put us uh, in a room with uh, mics, kind of like a radio drama where we were all there looking at each other and we could see each other's performance and then react to that. And we did that for the first few years um, before they started doing, you know, taking us aside and doing some of us separately and things like that. But it, it, that's, I think, also gave the X-Men some of the magic that that show has. Well, you mentioned that, Lenora, and that just made me think of when you were watching your other voice actors react to what was happening, the dialogue and so on, you were just seeing the physical person reacting and doing their lines, I would, I would think. Or was there actual um, visual characters, the X-Men characters, uh, playing at the same time, so you saw them? No, or... no. We, we, did not, we did not see anything. We had to just imagine it all. We, we read the script. Uh, we received the script. Then we would come in and usually do a script read around a table or at the mics where we just read it through once. And then we would record and do it, and uh, like a radio drama. And so we were able to see each other, you know, making the facial expressions or body contortions or whatever, but keeping your mouth at the mic, right? So even in these great big huge mega battles where you're flying through the air if you're rogue and picking up buildings and throwing them and then you're in a uh, you're then you're in a tornado and you're going around and around and around and you're going down 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 and you know things like this you had to imagine it and then act it out in front of the mic and all your friends who are your colleagues are there watching you and you know, it was fun it's like it's like being a kid and, and, and playing and you know getting paid for it. <laughs> that's that's like the best combination. I think you kind of answered the question I was thinking of, and that was take us through a typical day of recording an episode of X Men: The Animated Series. Yeah, well, that was basically it. We would we would do the readings, and we would record, and we'd take several hours to record. Um, then they would take people in by themselves if they needed to get like a, a special monologue or a scene between a couple of people where they just needed it to be quiet and intimate um, and and that was that was basically it and we were all very good theater actors um, they they tended to hire uh, people who were really good in the theater and that's what they were looking for they didn't want uh, 
those kind of regular cartoony voices. They wanted serious, real, dramatic actors to be able to deliver those, you know, really incredible um, speeches and scenes and to be able to take the pauses when you needed um, and not just do like a funny voice. That's what they were looking for, and that's why they hired the people that they did. And so it was always, I found, very uplifting and moving to be there and to watch, watch and hear the stories each time come alive. And then after we finished, we all uh, got along really well. So there was a little bar that was outside the studio um, on a patio, and we'd usually go and sit and watch the sun come down, and we'd have a few drinks together, order some food, you know, shoot the shit. Laugh at each other's jokes. Just have a. We really got along well, and and sadly, Norm Spencer, who had just recently died, and he was one of our, our pals. He played Cyclops, and he was one of our partners in crime there. And uh, you know, he just had such a great sense of humor and was such a sweet guy. And it, it's really sad to think back and remember those times and the good times and know that he's he's gone. Um, I think that's probably the answer to another question now, and that is what uh, negative, if there is anything, or what in doing the show was the most maybe challenging or perhaps difficult to to work through, overcome something that might stand out like that. Not to you know put a poo poo on the show, which I don't. To be honest, I, there, there is none for me. I, I it, it's nothing but a good good memory, and uh, I was glad. To see that we got to do several seasons, um, I really believed in the show, and I believed that the stories and the messages that it was um, sending were really important for the world. And to be honest, now that I see it again, and now that it's on Disney streaming, I can see that the messages and the meaning behind this show are more important than ever in today's world because the show is teaching people and reminding people that, hey, it's okay to be different. We're all in this together. You know, don't cast dispersion at one group of people and make them your your enemy. You know, we are all in this together, and we need love and brotherhood and sisterhood of man or woman to be able to survive. And I think that that's, that's a beautiful message, and boy, does it ever resonate today. Mm. I see that your character made a couple of appearances in the Spider-Man animated series. Anything different about that to uh, impart to us? <laughs> no, just that it was, a, I mean, fun and very cool. I mean, very cool to yeah, be able to say, yeah, I was on Spider-Man, and I think there's one scene where he even caught my character. He's flying and he's got he's got me in his arms. Um, pretty damn cool. Not not everybody can say that for sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, just just it was a lot of fun. And uh, I didn't never did get to meet the actor playing Spider Man, but uh, you know, great actor, great work, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. And Christopher Daniel Barnes is also a Disney prince as well for his work as Prince Eric in The Little Mermaid, so you were caught by a Disney prince as well. Well, there you go. Who knew? Who knew? Well, one of the other things also with the role of Rogue is the fact that the character is, all of these years later, still considered to be one of the most popular of the X-Men, and your portrayal is in part of that. And what is it like seeing the reaction of fans when you do the conventions and see, you know, people dressed up as the character of Rogue and it's your interpretation? Well, for years, uh, we, the X-Men on the animated series, had no idea really how popular the show was. Nobody really told us. And apparently there was reams and reams like hallways full of fan mail that um, the network received when the show came out and afterwards. But we never knew. Nobody ever told us. Uh, We never got to see the mail. We didn't get to respond to it, which we would have if we had known. Um, 
so when about a year ago, maybe a year and a bit ago, I was asked to come to a Comic-Con. Uh, I think the first one was in Texas, New Braunfels, Texas. Um, I thought, well, what the hell? You know, uh, I, I, I've never been there. I've never been to Texas. My character is from Texas. I've always wanted to go. Uh, so I thought, well, why not? And it was billed as the first time the X-Men had um, re- reunited. And so I went, and I was blown away, mm. as were my colleagues, by the response from people who told us that we had changed their lives and that we were their childhood and that they would rush home from school and throw themselves over the couch and their mother would bring them like a bowl of cereal or something so that because they just couldn't get away. They wanted to watch the show so badly and couldn't wait to get home. Many of the kids that we talked to, or they're not kids anymore, they're grown-ups now, but they said that, you know, that it was an escape for them. Some of them had been bullied. Some of them had other issues where they just felt like loners. And many of our characters are loners ourselves who found a family with each other, with with Xavier's school. And so lots of people could relate to that. And so, and and autistic kids, like people who who were autistic, um, said that that it was a a refuge, a haven for them. And they loved our characters in the show, and they could relate to it so much. So, I mean, it brought myself and some of my other colleagues to tears sometimes hearing the stories. Um, and so we, we were, it was, it opened our eyes to the fact that so many people love this show and that we had affected in this way, in a positive way. So then we started saying yes to other, other Comic-Cons. And we went to Los Angeles, the Comic-Con there, I think it was in October. October of last year, and you know there were like a hundred thousand fans or something. We we were we were completely blown away. Did you know? Well, let me back up a second. You said that you and your colleagues didn't know how popular the show was. The company didn't make you privy to the the flood, I guess, of mail and postcards that had come in. And is there any? I mean, I have an idea myself, but I want to ask why you, you know you didn't get to know. What was, you know, the reaction for this? I have no idea, really, honestly. Although when you talk to um, Larry Houston, who was our, you know, director and storyboard editor and, and all this, I mean, he talks about how our our show was kind of like the bastard child, <laughs> where the, the uh, network did not think it was going to be successful, they had to fight to get it done, and it took one woman in particular, I can't remember her name, unfortunately, but she, um, she pushed for that show uh, at that time, and they, I guess, grudgingly agreed to do it for one season, and it was so popular that they, the, that they were taken by surprise, and then the next thing you knew, we were doing another season and another season and another season like four four or five times so that's the only thing i can think of i don't know why they wouldn't let us know i i I know that a number of my colleagues and i have have talked of late about the fact that we you know we did the show for not much money at the time and uh we really haven't seen a penny i don't think since then um so, you know, the fact that it's done so well and it's been seen so many times and sold so many times around the world, it's kind of a shame that we didn't have any residuals. But those were the contracts we signed at the time. And, uh, you know, sadly, you, you have to live with those sort of things. That's kind of what I was thinking of where it would go back to, unfortunately, would be down to the bottom line. And and that if you, the actors, did see how well this was taking off, then you could have possibly been in a position to put one over and say, hey, you know what? It's doing so well, we would like an increase in what we're getting here. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, uh, you know, not that, to... that could be. But, uh, you know, I'm, I wasn't at the table there behind the scenes, so I have no idea what, and, what was really going on. And one of the things is also in the 1990s, 
the action figures were, you know, one of the biggest things, too, in regards to the X-Men. X-Men figures always sold. The Toy Biz figures, your figure was always flying off the shelf. Ha, 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 I did not mean that, but I'll take it. It works. Very good. And Very it, good. It's funny, too, because all of these years later, you know, it's 2020. Rogue's action figure is considered one of the hardest to find figures now where it, you know, out of box, really? it goes for about 80 to $90, the current one, yeah. And it's to the point where fans complained for so long and they go, we want another one, we want another one. They just announced uh, last week through, uh, as of this recording, on uh, October 6th, they announced they're going to be doing a retro line of the figures and it's oh. going to be Rogue and Gambit as a Target exclusive sure. in America, Toys R Us Canada. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. That's great. But I did I did buy um, a couple of figures when I was at one of the Comic Cons that had come out. That's Rogue and Gambit together, but they're kind of um, they're models. They're like um, they're models. Those are fairly recent, right? Great. Say that again. Are those fairly recent? Because like they have like the retro packaging. Those things are so cool. I love those. Yes. Yes, that's that's those are the ones. I and I I bought them at a Comic Con, and I've got them on my shelf with my other X Men stuff. <laughs> and uh, I just love them. I mean, yeah, they're iconic, right? And then, Leonor, is that person that you were thinking of before Margaret? Margaret Lesh? Yes, that's okay. The one. Eddie pulled out the that's book to look for it. I had to. <laughs> I had it right yes. here as an available resource. Very good. Yes, and I had only just heard about her recently through Larry because. Again, when we when we were invited to come to the to the shows, the Comic Cons last year, I that's when I got to meet Larry and uh, to talk to him in person and to hear his side of what had been happening behind the scenes uh, when this show was created, and to meet Eric and Julia Leewald and hear their stories as the writers. And so many of us, again, the actors, we, we didn't know any of this stuff. We, we had no idea um, what really had been going on. And, and now we're learning bit by bit by bit the, so, the, the story. So then you, had, you were given a bunch of comic books of X-Men and said, okay, read these and you'll get an idea of what this character's about? Or No, no, they didn't even do that. It, when we first auditioned for it, it was kind of called the X-Project. Mm. And X meaning, like, we thought it meant, oh, just like they didn't want to tell you the title. It's some big, and they said it was like this big surprise secret thing. Like, they didn't want you talking about it. It was like the X project. So I didn't even bother, to be honest, to audition for it the first time around when they started auditioning people because I'd only done one animation series so far. And as I said, I was busy doing film and television and theater, and I'd just done another play in New York, um, and I had just, I think, come back to Toronto, and, you know, I was flying high doing a lot of other stuff, and so I was kind of like, ah, an animation series, I don't know, I can't can't really be bothered, sort of thing. Um, But they didn't find uh, the character of Rogue, and then they had callbacks. And my agent was really mad at me and said, Lenore, they have not found this character of Rogue because you are her. And you need to get your ass over to these auditions because you're the one. So go and make sure you go. They'll see you for the callbacks. I I keep telling them you're the one, but you, you go because it's you. So I went, and I didn't know anything about it other than it's this X project. And I, the only thing they showed us was the drawings. So I got to see the drawing of Rogue. And that would have been Larry's, Larry's beautiful rendering of the character. And I was like, oh, I think I can relate to her. <laughs> you know, she's sassy. She's got the hand on the hip. I was used to doing Southern characters in movies and television and stuff. And so I... And I just read the first little paragraph. I went into the booth, put the headphones on. The producers were in Los Angeles. And I just read the first paragraph, which was, um, you know, my daddy liked to kill himself when he found out I was a mutant. You know, I remember I had me a boyfriend when I was 13. Had me a boyfriend till I kissed him. Poor boy went into a coma for three days. Got so if I touched anybody, it just drove the life 
right out of him. I don't know, Beast. You know everything. What makes us like the way we are anyway? And that was it. And I heard these screams coming from the booth in Los Angeles and all these guys going, that's it, that's it, that's her. Don't let her go. Where did she come from? (laughs) (laughs) And that was it. And that's, that's how I got the part. And on Facebook, we got two questions going basically concurrently, uh, one from Sean Riley and one from Lan Pitts. Same exact kind of question. I'll go with Lan's. What accent were you directed to do, and what uh, did you decide on? Well, they told me, in, well, in the description it said she had a, a Texas Southern drawl, and they were looking for a husky, a deep, husky, sexy voice. And I had played a number of those characters like that. Um, Sizzle, for one, that character I said in that that other animation series, Stunt Dogs, um, she had a southern accent as well. Plus, I had played a number of uh, those kinds of roles in some film and television work that I had done already. And so I just... I just did that accent, and they didn't get me to change it. Um, I just kept the voice that I had done originally in the audition, and that was it. Some of the other characters, like Gambit, for instance, they fooled around with his accent, and the same with Storm. They um, they tried different, uh, like, depths of accent. So, for instance, with Gambit, At first, they wanted a stronger New Orleans accent. And then they got him to sort of lighten up on the accent. And they were playing around with that a few times. The character of Storm, it was interesting because they wanted her to have a really strong accent in the beginning. But they they actually went through, boy, I think three actresses before they found uh, Allison Seeley Smith. And then and Allison Seely Smith is African Canadian with from the Caribbean originally. So they they went with her voice and with the accent that she did. But they, they did play around with accents with some of the characters, but with mine it basically just stayed the same from my audition till the end. And you know, one of the other things about your portrayal of uh, Rogue is again the the performance, the voice, and it kind of ties into the question that we ended up getting from Michael Dodd. What was it like to be a lot of boys' first crush in the 90s? <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Um, it's pretty cool. You know, it, it's, it's pretty cool. And I can understand. I mean, she's a very sexy character. She's She is strong. She's independent. She takes no guff from anybody, but she's got a heart, she's kind, and she is compassionate. And uh, who wouldn't love somebody like that? <laughs> we need more of those people. <laughs> and the character of Rogue is so iconic that when the movie Captain Marvel came out last year, a lot of people were going around the internet, you know, complaining about uh, Captain Marvel, whatever. But they always kept going back to one moment from the X-Men animated series. I think you know which one I'm talking about, where mm-hmm. Rogue ended up taking away the powers of Captain Marvel. And a lot yeah. of people are looking forward to that scene eventually happening on the big screen. And it's it's kind of cool just to see, again, that level of the character lasting for so long, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I, to be honest, I loved Captain Marvel. I, I, I enjoyed the film. Um... And, you know, be, being rogue, <laughs> I am aware of what's going to happen to her in the end. But, um, but I, I, I also know that rogue, this is part of rogue's Achilles heel, which any great tragic hero or heroine has, which is she has powers that can be used for good but they can also be used for evil. And she has to constantly watch herself and walk a fine line 
in deciding when and how to use her powers. And in that situation, she was fooled into using her powers by mystique um, to, to take the power and the life of another woman. And I think that is one of her lasting um, sorrows, is that she did that. And that, yes, she is stronger because of it, but that's why she goes and she wants to visit an old friend, as she says, you know, and she takes her flowers in, in the hospital. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a very touching moment. And to be honest, that, that episode of um, the episode of A Rogue's Tale is my favorite because you get to see Rogue's backstory and then, you know, you get to see what really why why she is the way she is and who she is and and also why she then decides to be a loner yes she's attracted to gambit yes she's in love with gambit but she will never let herself she will never let her guard down because she doesn't want to hurt somebody again and you know again you mentioned that tragic backstory of her and even in the films you know within the first uh, few minutes of rogue being on screen portrayed by anna paquin you see that tragedy you see that sorrow and that's one of the most key parts of the character and it's nice to see that even in any iteration of the character they include that and it's done so well yes it's it's an important part of of understanding the the complete character and um, as I said, you know, she's a, she's a loner. But, for instance, when you get an episode like The Cure, when the other X-Men are like, oh, why would anybody want to give up their superpowers? You know, why would anybody want to do that? And then the camera close, is close up on Rogue, and she turns, and you see this sort of tear in the corner of her eye, and she's thinking about it. And then, you know, she goes... I believe Muir Island, um, and uh, she—I mean, she wants the cure. She, 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 like you said, you know, I don't want to go through life never being able to touch somebody and never being able to feel somebody. So, you know, I think that expresses what a lot of people feel too. Um, and some people, uh, many people, are very lonely, and I think they can relate to her because of that. I just want to jump in and add, Lenore, that with Rogue's character in the first season uh, that I've watched, finally, because at that point in time I was kind of weaning out of out of the comic thing and not into the, and not into the, sh- the shows, but the, the and the comic collecting that I was doing was was going going down. But what I had seen with Rogue being um, taken over or impersonated by Mystique, and you saw her come out of, not to say not being shy. But being a little forward with Gambit, like he kind of always wanted her to be, that mm-hmm. uh, you know that that we, I think, as the viewing audience, recognize that this is not her. This is not how she behaves. Right, right. She she's not irresponsible. She's very responsible. She becomes and... probably what his his dream would be. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, or maybe he loves her because she is who she is. You know, I mean. It's interesting, Gambit and, and Roe, because, you know, he was raised by thieves, right? And uh, he, so he's an outsider, as, as Larry Houston likes to call him, he's the outsider among outsiders. And so it's interesting that he and Rogue fall for each other and that their energy is drawn to each other. I mean, some people have said, oh, why doesn't Rogue Rogue and Wolverine are perfect for each other? And it's like, no, actually, no. Rogue and Gambit are, are perfect for each other. And, uh, you know, and it would be nice to see them be able to get together. And maybe maybe someday we will. Maybe we'll have another episode, another show where we can we can get together. I mean, that would be a lot of fun. That was probably then the only time that uh, Rogue tried to persuade someone or maybe seduce would you say when with with respect to gambit when it was not rogue it was actually mystique right i mean rogue turns on her charm when she wants to uh 
fool people in order to get inside of buildings and things like that. <laughs> you know, you, you'll, you'll see her put on her sexy come-hither uh, routine for guards or other people where, or she'll get them and then she'll take some of their power enough just to make them not able to fight with us and then we'll go into the building or we'll do whatever it is that needs to be done and she's it's kind of funny when you see her do that well i do have to ask lenore because we did this in a way on a different episode when we spoke to the voice actor who was gambit oh hachi machi and we had (laughs) and we had another a big big time x-men animated series fan on the line and i asked if he would kind of speak uh, wooingly to to her so you think you can on the spot come up with a little bit of a seductive rogue? Oh my God, Lordy. I've never been asked to do that, but I'll tell you, I just love my fans. I do. I like writing to my fans, and I like talking to my fans, and they they certainly like to talk to me too. And uh, I just want to say to all those people out there who love Rogue, I love you back, and I want you to stay safe. And I want you to um, use all the precautions to stay safe from COVID-19 because I am a social distancing champion. And I I bet you could give me a run for my money if you tried. So how's that, sugar? Put me in my spot, why don't you? (laughs) That is amazing. That's terrific. Thank you so much. Uh, I just have a couple other things to touch on, and and then I, we may be uh, pretty much wrapping it up. Some other work, um, I see you had a part, a different character, female character, of course, in Avengers United They Stand in the role of Tigra. How was that? Yeah, that was fun, too. Hey, Hawkeye, I wanted a real man. <laughs> she was fun. She was a bit like Rogue, but teeth and claws, and a tail. Yeah, and fur, right. And 13 <laughs> episodes, it says, too, so yeah. Yeah, it was some of the same uh, creative team that had worked on X-Men. Um, it only lasted one season, unfortunately. It was a lot of fun, but for some reason that one didn't didn't fly, but it, it was a blast. Um, and I also played a character that, was, that turns into a cat, you know, when she gets angry and and gets it goes into action in uh outlaw star have you ever heard of that one it's an anime series i'm a tsunami kid you better believe it (laughs) okay and i and so i play aisha clan clan and she when she eats when she eats or when she gets angry she turns into this huge cat-like creature and she is powerful too. You don't want to mess with Aisha, but that one now—that one nearly broke my voice because that one she was screaming all the time. Do you think she any of Rogue? I screamed once in a while, but with Aisha, she screamed a lot. That was hard on the throat. For Aisha or uh, Tigra, do you think either of them have been in a room full of rocking chairs? <laughs> Probably not. But they'd be so quick with their tail. They're so in tune with their body. I think they could escape lightly. And one of the th- <laughs> one of the other things, again, you know, you had mentioned you're a member of Parliament, and it got me mm-hmm. thinking off mic earlier. Let's do a little bit of like a kind of like a fan cast, but not really. Take your members, fellow members of Parliament, and turn them into the Dream X Men team. And why is Justin Trudeau Cyclops? Because I know he's so hunky. Oh, that is, my gosh, I'll have to tell him that. (laughs) Well, he has great vision. He has great vision for the country. He has a great world vision. And he is a great team player. Like, he knows how to use our talents to the fullest. And he's always open to um, ideas and suggestions. He's compassionate. But, you know, he's also strict. And he knows that we have to pull together and that we have a, you know, we have right now a, a global enemy. And that enemy is, is COVID-19. And we have to all pull together to defeat that enemy. And, you know, he's, he's a great leader in that way and a great leader in getting that message out. And I'm just proud to be part of his team. Lenore- team Canada. 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to go back to another another couple of your roles, and one was in the 2000s, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. How different or oh, not was it uh, playing that role? That was fun. Uh, I played Chikara in that. I was living in New York. That was during my New York years. And I got a call from my agent in New York asking me <laughs> asking me if I if I did uh, a Japanese accent. And of course, like any good actor who knows their salt, who's worth their salt, you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> you say yes. So I've never done a Japanese accent before. Yeah, then take a crash but... course in. <laughs> <laughs> I. I went out to the local video store in in the village, in the East Village in New York, and I uh, I rented a few different movies, and uh, one of them was one of them was The Last Samurai, with uh, with um, oh my gosh, uh, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, yes, with Tom Cruise, and I found a part there where they were doing a, the Japanese accent and. I was like, okay, I, I'm going to just copy that. So basically, I did. I, I listened to some Japanese movies with the uh, subtitles, and then I listened to that and watched it, and then I just kept playing that one over and over and over again. So I got I got it down, and I went in, and I, I booked it. So I, I think I, I, was, I did about, I don't know how many episodes of that one I did, maybe seven or eight, okay. but it was a lot of fun. And, you know, she was a samurai warrior, a mystic samurai warrior. Again, a great, strong woman. What's not to love? Was this the uh, computer animated one for uh, Nickelodeon? I have no idea. Because I think it was. <laughs> that, well, it says it... 2006 to 2008 was the time frame, but... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, do we have two I don't knows and, and what I have in front of me. But what I was going to say, too, Lenore, is as a technique maybe that if you're... Uh, like you said, worth your weight in salt or whatever, as a voice actor, listening to an accent, a, a brogue, a dialect, and then somehow being able to, uh, I don't know, absorb it into your psyche and then come out with it. Uh, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. I, God knows, have tried periodically once in a while because my thing is doing radio. So, you know, sometimes that's handy. Eddie, do a Midwestern. I mean, <laughs> would you like to give a town and a state, please? No. <laughs> Well, to be honest, I am such, um, I'm so finicky. I'm kind of a perfectionist, and I don't really like to do accents unless I've really, really, really practiced them, which is why, you know, I stayed up all night that time going over and over and over, watching movies and practicing, you know, an American doing a Japanese accent, right? Um, Because I figured that's what they would want for that particular one. But any accents that I do, I, I need to work on. They don't just come like that. I, I work on them. And then transitioning over to another thing that you did, which was video games, uh, among them X-Men versus Street Fighter, Marvel versus Capcom, and Marvel versus Capcom 2. Probably not much different to uh, execute those? No, because I'd already played the character. So those came basically either during or after um, we'd already done the series. So they they requested me to come and, and do those for extra money, of course. <laughs> and I got paid quite well for doing those. Um, and it was fun. You know, like some, some actors might not like spending an hour doing grunts and ooms and ahs and punches and kicks and this and that. But to be honest, I enjoy it. So... Uh, I, I enjoy I enjoy act, acting using my voice. It's fun, and so yeah, so it, it was it was easy. I just want to ask one other, and this is in the film category, 1981. And if it's if I'm not mistaken, I was into horror movies in, in that time period. I mm-hmm. kind of faded out of those after at some point. But Happy Birthday to Me. Yeah. What about that, that role? And yeah. Well, that was with Melissa Sue Anderson, and um, it was we shot it in Montreal, and it was in the eighties, which the early eighties. So it was, I think it might have been my uh, one, two. I think it might have been my second 
I think it was only my second film. Um, and it, 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 you know, it's about 10 college kids and they start getting murdered off one by one. And, and I play one of those college kids. And um, it is a su- surprise ending. And I think they shot two different endings. <laughs> and, uh, it, but it was, it was my first horror film. And I just remember the director um, saying, more blood, more blood, more blood. Like, he loves blood, fake blood, you know, red, red dye, chocolate syrup, blood. All of us, had, who, all of them who had died in different ways, different horrendous ways, I remember we'd, they'd make us sit to eat lunch together because the crew couldn't stand looking at <laughs> couldn't stand looking at them because of all the, the incredible makeup job that had been done. Uh, I remember one character died with a shish kebab, and mm. oh my God, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't look at that. You couldn't look at him. They, he could barely look at himself in the mirror. You but, probably couldn't eat uh, either. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Depending on where the I shish kebab was. Soup or something. But in your, in, in your character was Maggie, I believe, right? Yes, that's right. And I'm not going to say whether she lives or dies, but Maggie was a great character, and... Um, yeah, it was it, again. It was, you're young. You're doing movies. You know, it was. I had just played Marilyn Monroe, another show about Marilyn Monroe, when I was 20. I, I was chosen when I was 19 to play Marilyn Monroe and to play her from the age of 16 to 36 when she died on stage in a 2,000 seat theater, rock opera, all sung, no dialogue. It was at my big break. And right after that, I got all, I mean, I got all kinds of great um, uh, reviews and things like that. And then the movie and television offers started coming in. And in the early 80s in Canada, we did a lot of horror films. And, you know, it was good practice for me to be an actor and, and get the work. I would have liked to do some more serious stuff at that time, but we didn't seem to be doing those kinds of films at that time. And uh, so, you know, I did, I did a ton of horror films and became known as the kind of Canadian scream queen. You know, my, my scream is a good scream, <laughs> as anybody who's watched the X-Men knows. And, uh, I, and by the time I, I did Rogue and the X-Men, I had had a lot of practice doing these, these horror films. So there you go. Probably on a scream level, a banshee would appreciate, no? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, there was also another one that was called Fright Night or Visiting Hours, which we did um, in Montreal as well. And that, that's with Michael Ironside, and um, it, it, it was really scary as well. And William Shatner, uh, Linda Pearl, uh, fantastic scary movie, psychological thriller, and I had a great role in that one, really great role in that one. Um, so, you know, the 80s were a lot of fun in the fact of being a young actor, you know, getting your chops in film and television and doing theater from time to time when there was a character or a show that I really wanted to do. So it, it was it was a good living and I got to travel around and see the world, which is what I wanted to do as a kid. I said, I want to be an actor and travel the world. And, and so I did. The name of the movie was Visiting Hours, 1982. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Eddie? Going forward then, Lenore, you said you would not be adverse to a reuniting of the X-Men characters, correct? Oh, I'd love that. That would be so much fun. You betcha, sugar. And, with, you know, with Disney Plus bringing everything back, you never know, it could happen, but... What was it like seeing on social media the immediate reaction when they announced day one, hey, we're going to have X-Men, the animated series? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the fact that they did all these polls and that X-Men was chosen as the number one show people wanted to see back was really exciting. I, I, I was, it, it was, it's unbelievable. I mean, the fact that it's so popular um, around the world, really. I mean, it, it blows you away when you're, you know, you've been kind of living in the dark, not knowing the effect that something you did had on people. And to see, to see that, to see the love from the fans 
it's been overwhelming, really, to be honest. Lenore Zan, we want to thank you oh so much for taking the time to talk to us about your time as Rogue in the X-Men animated series and everything else you're involved with, and we wish you nothing but continued success with what you're doing up in Canada. Well, thank you, Sugar. I truly appreciate that. And hopefully I'll get to see you all sometime in in real life at a Comic-Con coming to you after COVID. We will keep our gloves on and shake your hand wholeheartedly. Yes. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Now, before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? You can just go on Twitter and find me at, at Zan Lenore. And uh, I oftentimes write back to fans. And uh, I'm not on there all the time because I'm actually working here. But uh, I love to hear from the fans, and I, I will definitely respond. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Lenore Zan. And I'm Eddie Wilson, Excelsior. Obsessed with Marvel, rogue version, sugar. Lenore Zan, thanks for sticking around to talk to us about how wonderful or not we are at these questions. Eddie, only one person in this conversation can say sugar. Please never let it be you again. This is true. Trying to relate. All right, the question is number 2424, and it goes like this. Like this. Who was the original Destroyer in the 1940s comics? Wow, this is going back. Your choices are Brian Falsworth, Keen Marlowe, Jack Castle, or Roger Aubrey. Who was the original Destroyer in the 1940s comics? Brian Falsworth, Keen Marlowe, Jack Castle or Roger Aubrey? Let's all take an answer. I, I don't know. Uh, B? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, D? That's hard. I don't know that one. Yeah. yeah. What are you saying, Roger Aubrey, Peter? Uh, just... I said D, I guess. Okay. I don't recognize any names, but, you know, whatever. So do you have a guess, Lenore? Uh, Castle. Castle. We'll try that. Okay. I'm going to go along with Lenore. Letter C. No, the answer is B. Keen Marlowe. Save it for the next time that question comes up, I guess. I accidentally said B. You accidentally said B. Where? If you listen. Was it? We'll have to rewind this thing. I don't know. All right. Let's move on. I sure do. It sounded like B to me. Right? We'll try best out of three. 275. And it is, what was wrong with the Fantastic Four's new house in Fantastic Four number 88? Bad plumbing. Back to 1969. What was wrong with the house? It contained a portal into the negative zone. The house was controlled by the Mole Man. The architect was their enemy, the wizard, or the neighbors didn't want superheroes moving onto their block. This is just funny. What was wrong with the Fantastic Four's new house in number 88? And this will be a part of the Fantastic Voyage at some point. It contained a portal into the negative zone. The house was controlled by the Mole Man. The architect was their enemy, the wizard, or the neighbors didn't want superheroes moving onto their block. Now taking uh, your guess. Let's try B. Controlled by the Mole Man? Okay. I'm going to go with B. You want Mole Man? I kind of like negative zone. We all want Mole Man. No. Nope. Um, I'll just hit B for Mole Man. The answer is correct. Controlled okay, by the Mole yay. Man. How do you like that? All right, right, let's, let's. so we're one out of two. Let's hope for another good one. One out of two ain't bad. All right. I guess. That's my favorite meatloaf song. What? <laughs> we're, we're getting closer. I don't know. It's a half we're. serving. It's a half serving. It's controlled portions, I suppose. I don't know. Portion control. All right. One, two, five, five. Whoops. One page too far. Here we go. Who is the father of the Fenris siblings? And that's F E N. R I Fenis F E N N I S. I don't know. Why no. are you asking me? Fenis. All right, write write the first time. F E N R I S. Who is the father of the Fenris siblings? Choices are Sabretooth, the Red Skull, Baron Strucker, or Magneto. Who's the father Ooh. of the Fenris siblings? I'm not sure of the Fenris siblings. Magneto's Lenshire. Sa- Sabretooth, siblings. Red Skull, Baron Strucker, Magneto. I don't think it's Magneto. Yes, he's Lenshire. Okay. Right, he's he's Wanda and Pietro. Magneto, correct? How about how about Sabretooth? That's what I'm thinking. Sabretooth? I'll go with it. Letter A. 
No. <laughs> the answer no? is C, Baron Strucker. We don't have Baron Strucker history, I guess. We need to bone up on that, perhaps. Okay. To be honest, I don't even remember who Baron Strucker is. See? He was in, he was in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, though, at least. Mr. and Mrs. Strucker's son. That's right. Yeah. Sabretooth, by the way, was, was a really good actor. No question. On the animation yes. series. He died recently, but he was so good. He had a beautiful voice. Should we try for he redemption and try to get one more? Maybe we'll, we'll even it out there. Okay, sure. All right. This is a this is a repeat question. Holy cow. It's about Wolverine. Should we do it? Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's on a recent episode. It's by far the most popular of the X-Men is the man known as Logan. I, for the first time, because this is recent history, that this question has come up. The question comes down to who wrote and drew the Weapon X story showing how Wolverine was infused with adamantium, and Peter knew right away. Yeah, we did this question before, so we're getting it's, a repeat. It's very re Yeah. This I gotta change the batteries maybe in this and reset the whole computer. I it's possible. But the choices are Paul Jenkins and Adam Kubert, Chris Claremont and John Byrne, Barry Windsor Smith, or Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. And there's a there should be a clue here because of the fact that two three out of four of these answers are collaborate are two mm -hmm. people and one mm -hmm. is just one. Mm -hmm. So maybe D? Maybe Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. That's a great guess. We are deferring, uh, I think, to Barry Windsor Smith in this case, because Weapon X came ah. around, was it in the 80s, Peter? 1991. 1991. Or 90, something like Early that. Early, yes, okay. All right, you know what? Let's go with Barry Windsor Smith, and uh, that is correct. Because I think we did that okay. in the last time we were in person. Well, we had to save ourselves and be two out of four, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you guys are better at this than I am. Uh, I do the voice. I, just yeah. an off day, I think that's all it is. I usually have off days. <laughs> Thank you again, Lenore. I'm not Lenore. usually into all of those things, but I, I really appreciate it, and I appreciate the people who are.